Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is propaganda. And we're going to be interviewing Michelle Stiles, who wrote the book, One Idea to Rule Them All, Reverse Engineering American Propaganda. She actually mailed this to me at my office. And I get a lot of books, but it's very rare where I ever decide to interview someone who mails me a book. But but this is a particular interest of mine, as I said. So it's a really pertinent, pertinent and apt topic um, in light of what's been going on the last few years to try to attempt to understand how we've been manipulated and brainwashed. Because if you can understand that, then you can prevent that from happening in the future and help other people to do that too. Michelle had a really nice quote from George Orwell in the book, which was, <clears throat> In the age of universal deceit, anyone telling the truth is a revolutionary act. So, and that's what we're we're really battling today is this massive campaign to disinform us and essentially um, have the projection of the people telling the misinformation claiming everyone else's information, which is precisely what they've done. So, um, Welcome, and thank you for joining us today, Michelle. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor, um, and it's especially an honor to be with the foremost person of the disinformation dozen. You are the master, right? You were dubbed by the uh, Center for uh, Digital Hate and the New York Times. Remember that? Uh, so I, I, I almost feel like I should, well. be, I should be interviewing you as the top um, disinformation spreader. Yeah, so this is largely because I've been doing this so long, and um, I've established some credibility. And it was probably, it is the unquestionably, unequivocally, the greatest honor I've ever been given to be recognized as someone who is literally telling the truth in this age of misinformation. So there's so many different Absolutely. ways that we, we can start with this, but I think I wanted to start with... Because there's so many ways that they misinform us, but the primary one that most people are familiar with, and one that many people my age are, are aware of, is the media as a trusted source of information. You know, and even younger guys like Tucker Carlson got, who's a smart guy, he got bamboozled and even recently admitted on the air in an interview, someone was interviewing him, that one of his greatest regrets in professionally was that he'd come to the, the Iraq war misinformation and was literally spreading their lies and truth. And he actually was a proponent of the war, Iraqi war, obviously not so much now. So his conclusion what is that the, the, the media in general is a deserves our utmost 
contempt because of what they've done. And this is pretty spectacular because people, you know, older than 50, 60, I mean, this is not always the case. It was, it's been historically well-respected uh, as, as truth tellers and, and breaking information and helping give us the details of what we need to know, but it probably was never true. They just been uh, less careful in covering this misinformation up. So I'm wondering if you can comment on that and, you know, this whole transition. I think the good part of this, though, is that the people that were interviewing Tucker were much younger than him. They were in their 20s. And what he was perceiving as an epiphany was really known to people in their 20s. So this is a really, really good observation is that many people, if not most, and I think you can cite some of the statistics, the recent statistics that just absolutely don't trust the mainstream media anymore. So with that as a preface, why don't you start it off and, you know, kind of expand on that to start with? Yeah, the news uh, is the trust in the news is is at an all time low. You're exactly correct. And um, what I try to do in the book, because, um, you know, I, I, I want people to take a historic view and I bring up people like Upton Sinclair and George Saldes. And these guys were, they were um, journalists that were man-made. They just, they went into the profession and learned it on their own. And they weren't afraid to tell the truth, but they only had a small um, mag, uh, uh, magnaphone or megaphone. Uh, uh, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly, to, uh, to, to tell the world. But they they said, clearly in the early 1900s that the media is corrupt they were owned by big interests and um they were not uh dealing squarely with people like Upton as he was an investigative reporter and so um you know they were trying to tell as many people as they could but they just this they, they couldn't get it out there and then um you know, that was so 100 we, years ago. That was 100 years exact, ago. Exactly. That's the point I'm trying to make. And I'm I'm hoping that people, when they come back historically, and they've never really regained that trust, they just moved on to other things, right? They moved on to television and, okay, people kind of turned their, their attention away. And then um, journalists were, they you know, they were uh, uh, created through the schools, right? We had to have a, a um, a degree to get into it. So now you're sort of captive. You can't really blow the whistle without uh, blowing up your career, right? And so that's that impacts it, right? Because nobody can tell the truth. Um, and if you do come out, it's a it's a long road to sort of getting your own reputation set up, right? And your own um, <clears throat> income. So yeah, uh, I'm just hoping that people when they when they take that perspective can go what. Well, Wait a minute. Why are we? Why? Why would we ever have trusted them? And it's a sacred trust, as um, uh, Lipman says, that the power to determine what's important and what's not, right, is a power that. Uh, let me see if I can get the quote. Um, power to determine what's important and what is not important um, is a power that is so great that uh, no one has seen it since the Pope. Uh, lost his hold on the secular mind, right? I mean, it, it's it's an amazing tool. It's a searchlight. It's 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 focusing in on what's important, and it's shielding out 
what's to deem not important. And one of the things that I bring up in the in the book is I call them uh, tribal elders in a sense. And because what they are doing is they're alerting the community, they're magnifying problems and they're uh, smoke screening things that are not problems. But the the um, the important point to remember is that if you're magnifying the wrong problems, then you're really harming the society. And tribal elders were meant to help people learn and understand what was um, going to be a threat. And then they would counsel together and they would uh, execute a plan. And so when you have, in a sense, treasonous tribal elders, um, you really have a poison in the entire society. Well, getting back to the mainstream media that I started with, I think I'd like, I'd like to address is your views on, I mean, you you confirm that the trust in them is at an all-time low. I think it's like in some segments of the population, it's as low as 10%, even single digits, low single digits, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the vast majority of people, the overwhelming majority just don't trust them anymore. But it it appears that there's that the journalists, the professional journalists that are hired by the mainstream media are know of this and they're willing conspirators in the whole process that they're essentially taking their marching orders from a small group of people who control everything. And you can see this. There's so many videos that I've seen. I'm sure many others have seen where they show one newscaster, a local newscaster, and then another one, and then another, yeah, and then right. you know, you have 50 of them on the screen saying the same darn words. They're reading from the same script. They're given a script and they need, they need to read it. So they're not independently reporting on the news. They're just uh, giving the recommendations from who's ever controlling, paying, the, paying, the, paying them. Uh, and, th- and that's why Tucker has, is, and many others, uh, are saying that they are they deserve our most utmost contempt, and that hating them is there's not there's not a, enough enough hate to get to, to throw at these guys because they're they're just evil conspirators in what they're doing, but it's all carefully planned. And there's many other variables that that factor into this, but. You know, and and as as we agree, fortunately, most people recognize that they just can't almost believe anything that the that their local news broadcaster is saying or national news broadcaster. So, any other comments on that before we dive into some other things, like how you first got interested in this? I I think you're I think you're right. I think though that you know sometimes these young kids they they get their degree they get out there and um you know as lipman said you go back to lipman's writings you know in the journalistic school you know it's about a narrative um and i i think they've really wiped that out that it's not a truth you know the the ends justify the means we don't you know we have an orthodoxy we're pushing and they really learn that in the schools and they come out and and i think they're justifying what they do um Unfortunately, now there. Well, you got first from the book. It appears that you first became interested in this uh, somewhat similar path that James Corbett followed, and that uh, a result of the uh, truth about nine eleven and that being a major conspiracy and and cover up. 
it's pretty well documented. If you're a carefully careful investigator of the truth, I mean, it's just hard to come to any other conclusion with that. So Corbett certainly did, and he's you know an amazing investigative journalist and is exposing so many of their lies. Uh, and I think you had some similar experience. Were you, were you teaching in high school, or yeah? And then one. No, of your... I, I just um, <clears throat> I just realized that um, I, I think the night I had actually said to somebody. Oh, nobody believe nobody credible believes that. You know, so stop. You know, when they when they that was, the, the nine eleven was an incident. Believes was a hoax. Yeah, I said, oh, that's that's stupid. Nobody nobody believes that, right? And then I actually sat down and watched, you know, with my own eyes, the um, architects and engineers for nine eleven truth video, and you know that was, um, you know, uh, really life altering for me. I, I remember I I really couldn't sleep that night. Um, it was about having the trusts, and I, you know, I talk about this in the infrastructure of belief. It, it was having those trusts torn down, right? And it's really a portrayal, in a in a large sense. And I think that's why so many people, you know, have a hard time with coronavirus. It's like you're you're asking them to say these trusts that you've had in your life, and that you've uh, embraced, and that have that have been around you. It's almost like a breakup uh, of a long term uh, marriage, right? When somebody realizes, hey. Uh, the, the, the your spouse has been cheating on you for the last five years, and um, they they have they struggle to to come to grips with that because they that they don't want to push they want to push that out of their consciousness, and um, in the same way when when um, you know the things that we trust authority experience um, what other people are doing and saying around us uh, the culture the words that we use to describe the culture those are all trusts and that's one of the things that i the point that i make in the book is that they, these guys are like snakes they're wolves they've infiltrated these trusts that's the way to get that's the way to package democracy through or package propaganda through in a democracy and so you know it is you know, when you come to that realization, I think, you know, I watched your interview with Dr. Merrick and he said the same thing. He said, I had a hard time coming to grips with, wow, there's a lot of deception, even in my own industry that I haven't really even seen. And um, so I think that's what we're struggling against um, for that percentage of people who it may, they may see the news as untrustworthy, but they don't see the whole thing in a sense. Um, they don't see the, the massive corruption that's there to support that as well. And I suspect a big factor that's related to that is that, you know, people have to work. Most people have to work to support themselves and pay for food and shelter and and other expenses. And that takes up a significant amount of their day, waking yeah. hours. So yeah, that doesn't leave a lot of free time to carefully review this. It's not like they have a full time job of being an investigative journalist. Yeah. You know, so the, you're you're sort of stuck with the limited resources, time being the most precious. Uh, so you have to trust someone. They've just learned to, to trust these sources, at least many have. But this is that fortunately, most of that is shifting and they're they're finding newer, different, maybe not newer, but different, most of the time newer, different and more reliable and reputable sources. But then you have to be careful because you, right. they've all, they have to be continually vetted. Exactly. No, even me, you know. Maybe I'm telling, maybe I'm really the, the primary, the, the leader of the disinformation. <laughs> True. Um, no, but you you really, I'm not, obviously, but at least from my perspective. <laughs> but, no, I, I was just teasing you to start out. I just wanted to, you yeah. know, just, it's it's ironic, right? You know, they would call you the, the disinformation spreader and you're, you know, 
Yeah, it's it's a classic Orwellian doublespeak. Right, exactly. Uh, it's a perfect illustration of that. Uh, so I guess, you know, one of the, we can start discussing some of the tools that have been used. And one of the newer ones, at least from my perspective, uh, understanding, it's been going on for a long time. Um, but it's the power of these public relations agencies. In fact, we did a whole article on this shortly before this, we're doing this interview. And we highlighted chapter eight of your book that reviews this. And I think hardly anyone really appreciates the power that these companies have. It's not a lot of companies. It's literally three or four companies. I think publicists being the most recent and the maybe the most influential. We've talked about written many articles about them. We've also got WPP, Omicron, Interpublic, I think. Yeah, Intergroup, so, I think. Intergroup. So, and collectively, I don't think all four of them have more than $100 billion in revenues, which is a lot of money for sure. But mm-hmm. still, I think the biggest is 15, 20 billion. So relatively not huge players. I mean, there are thousands of people who have that much wealth themselves, let alone as a big mm-hmm. um, international public company. But that with a relatively small amount of these revenues, they seem to control almost everything. Almost everything. This is, this is the core, the nucleus of how they do it. You know, the, the ad placements and the consistent the messaging that we're hearing is just like generated through these types of companies. And I remember when I put together my book on EMF, and sought to help people understand how this is another fraud and misinformation is it was using the analogy of the tobacco industry. And way back then, um, it was uh, Hills and Knowlton, H&K, H&K, in the 50s, that was literally responsible for giving the tobacco industry their playbook. And 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 they, it worked for almost another fifty years. They will continue the masquerade and confuse people and miss. You know, they're classic strategies that they use: discrediting, causing doubt, was another huge element. But this Hilton Norton was actually bought up recently by uh, WPP, so they're mm-hmm. they're still around. And you know, I think in your book, I had totally forgotten you mentioned. That Hills and Nolan <laughs> was mm-hmm. responsible for many, maybe remember the story of this Kuwaiti witness. Oh, yeah, the Kuwaiti witness. So, why don't you discuss that? Because the details escape me at the current time, but it was, you know, I said, oh my gosh. And, and it's, a, I, I like this story because it's a perfect illustration. Again, this is the same company that has been misleading the public for decades, a bit, significant percentage of a century about this. And they were even doing it in the, this century in the Iraqi war. Right. They had they presented to uh, to a hearing um, and this is Hills and Knowlton um, I'm referring to um, a witness that had um, it was it was a young girl whose name was anonymous, was withheld from the um, the hearing participants. And um, she was essentially the ambassador's daughter, I believe, for Kuwait. And she um, testified. That wasn't disclosed. That was just, that was right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, because she was kept anonymous and um, she testified to the atrocities of the Iraqis throwing babies out of incubators uh, onto the floor of the, you know, the hospital unit. 
itself. And um, it was it was designed to create outrage and it was designed to to support the war effort. And it's it's actually fantastic when you think about it. It's like, OK, how, who who vets people that get to speak in front of a hearing? Who vets them? I mean, do, does a PR and they, they actually Hills and Knowlton, according to what my research is, they provided every one of the witnesses that day. And you're like, wait a minute, is that democracy? I mean, how is it possible that congressional staffers are like, okay, like you're dealing with the PR firm, who's vetting all this, right? And then they're asking questions, and and the and the the congressmen are are kept in the blind. So it it's fantastic, and yet that had a huge effect on galvanizing support for the war at that time, and it was all done by a PR firm. And most people aren't aware of that. And I suspect most people just remember, now that you mentioned the details of that story and being aghast and appalled that that Mm -hmm. being true, but they had no idea that it was all fabricated thanks to a PR agency and the perfect illustration of the power of these companies. As I said, they're not very wealthy organizations. I mean, tens of billions of dollars is relatively small potatoes, Mm -hmm. yet they can control international policies. Right. There's some real power behind these companies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when you like when I kind of tugged down the strings and looked for the origins of that, um, the, the, the most classic story that I could find was Bernays talking about the politician. Uh, th- now, remember, this is 1920. And he's saying, OK, facts and reason, that's out. We're not using those things anymore. Here's what we're going to do. Um, a politician wants to advocate for low tariffs, lowering the tariff on wool coming into the country, right? Um, this is what he's going to do. He's going to say he's going to get the PR guy, and the PR is, guy is going to create circumstances. So he's going to talk to prominent businessmen um, and get them to agree to wear cotton suits as a protest uh, to their important events. Okay, they're going to boycott wool. Somewhere else in the um community or in the nation at large, they're going to get maybe some middle-class people to protest. Okay. So, so these are, they don't seem linked together in the public's mind. And then somewhere else they'll have, they'll survey, uh, social workers, they'll do some surveys and they'll uh, interview the poor and they'll uh, run a report on the plight of the poor and the suffering that entails from the high cost of wool. Like they can't buy wool blankets and they're starving or, I mean, not starving, but, um, uh, freezing to death. Okay, so so you have these events being placed into the public consciousness, and he's he, that's when he says, okay, now the politicians are going to step into that uh, atmosphere, and he's going to help solve the problem, right? And so, um, you know, he tells he's teaching young PR uh, professionals, and he says you, you're going to have to look uh, and, and find out. Uh, intimately what news feels like because you're going to be creating it right and so propaganda packaged as news is devastating to to a democracy and they're they're seeding the consciousness and putting the problem again the the news highlighting those because they're they're picking out obviously when they spend time uh focusing on one thing they're eliminating the time you know the opportunity cost to highlight a different problem right but they highlight the problems they want and um, so you think, well, what you know, what does it matter if a politician advocates for lower, lower taxes? But let's say, because um, that's sort of like a simple PR campaign. Um, let's just say that uh, powerful interests have overseas 
stakes in wool that they want to dump cheaply on the, the United States, or they want to take out their competitors in the United States with cheap wool, right? So now you have something really nefarious. You, you don't have a simple campaign. You have powerful interests, big government, okay, corporations, and the news manipulating to consolidate power, wealth, and resources. And that, to me, is the important thing that, like, we can't do that, Dr. Mercola. They want. They always want to call us propagandists. We don't have power in society in that in that way, right? Um, we may have money, but we certainly don't have the money available that that they do, and we can't influence the news like that. And so, um, yeah, that's something to really, really um, take home from this this uh, video is, um, you know, the average person. It's simply ridiculous to think that we can actually do propaganda and that this network, this wolves working as a pack really for the last hundred years. And, and, and look at, look at the um, income, right? The 1% is just getting higher. The middle class is getting wiped out. Right. Um, we've seen that trajectory for the last hundred years. And I, I, they've just used this playbook over and over and over again. So let's go into some of the specific strategies that they're using because as you said it's going on going on for over a century and they'd be getting better and better and better bernays i believe was sigmund freud's cousin some some relative yes yes and and um you know so he he's really recognized i believe as the the grandfather father of public relations yeah or the father the father of public relations uh so <laughs> but they've had tools back then it was limited they had print newspaper primarily uh, they had radio mm -hmm. and then, then then tv came along later of course and it continues to evolve uh but some of the other things that you you alluded to which reminded me of the the, the details in your book is that is the protest the spontaneous public protest right are not what they appear to be many of these things these are hired people that the pr agency hires to do this protest and then obviously has the media cover it and it may be a relatively small protest i know dozens hundreds maybe but most more than likely dozens and it gets right. massive pr coverage as opposed to legitimate protests where there's hundreds of thousands maybe even right. millions of people that gets virtually right. no no coverage right so that's one and there's, obviously there's a lot bunch of others that we can go into but let's let's talk about that for a bit as, as a tool as a strategy they're using in their armamentarium to brainwash people into what their whatever their nefarious agenda is. Yeah, well, you've mentioned really a lot of them. Um, one of the things that um, I, I, I want to kind of just bring in here is uh, that I think there's a there's a tendency for us, um, and I put in the infrastructure of belief and why why like visual visual things are so uh, impact us so dramatically is is that seeing is believing to a large sense and so when you've got video and you've got these events people don't naturally think well like you were saying okay you have this really small boycott uh but depending on the 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 camera angle right you can make that nobody knows right you can zero in on it and um, and you can also back off on a on a large one, or, and, and just you can manipulate how it comes across. Okay, um, but when we when we uh, uh, take things in video, 
in a technological society, we don't have any way to discriminate um, that that natural impulse to say what we see is true, Dr. McCullough. And so, you know, that um, the infrastructure belief is is huge in terms of trying to um, recognize what vision does the potential dangers of vis- of a visual um, experience, right? So, so let's let me give you an example. Um, Demar Hamlin, right? That just happened. People feel like they were there, right? Nine eleven, certainly. All these things. So now, uh, we're normally in a local c- culture. Experience wasn't that far from us. Like we knew somebody, uh, we were there, or we knew somebody who knows somebody who was there, and we, we can verify it. But we can't verify any of those things anymore. Does that make sense? So technologically, and for those who don't recall, Hamlin was the NFL player who had some type of cardiac event during the game. It was a nationally televised game and clear implications where it was related to a recent jab, but he never admitted or denied that he was vaccinated, of course, because he was more than likely, Uh, at least according to Peter McCullough, who's a world-class cardiologist and, you know, basically figured that thing, you know, presented the evidence that suggests that. Um, so that's good. That's a good illustration of it, really. We, we can't. We don't have the time, effort, or resources to, to do that. So we have to rely on these things. Right. Let me let me give you an example of the just the infrastructure of belief um, and the trust. So I, I mentioned experience. It's in the center of, like, let's say a, a dice that's a number five. So experience in the middle, authority, right? So seeing is believing, right? Trust your eyes, authority, trust the experts, um, social pressure, trust what other people are doing and saying, trust your culture, and trust the words we use to talk about the culture. And you say, um, okay, so now in a small local community, that works great. That absolutely works great. And um, But when you uh, overlay a technological culture, you can't ferret out those those trusts, if you will. That's what you're you're relying on, right? Because we can't go and investigate everything. We can't dig up every fact. We we grow up. We have to trust the medicine man, right? As an authority. So um, uh, those things are really important to to realize. All right. Now let me just give you an example with coronavirus. Just take coronavirus. So um, we we see what happened visually comes to us. Uh, people writhing on the ground in China, hazmat suits, um, the draconian lockdown. Then we went to Italy and you saw gurneys and you saw morgues, right? And then you went to, to the New York City and you saw floating ships and more deaths. And then somebody died that you knew or somebody that you, somebody that you know had somebody lose somebody to coronavirus. And boy, how could it be? How could that be wrong? Right. I'm seeing it in my own life. I've experienced it. It's happening all across the globe. That's got to be real. Then into that comes the authorities, grandfatherly Dr. Fauci, uh, grandmotherly Dr. Burks, right? And CDC uh, and the WHO. Um, if you didn't trust them, uh, you might have just trusted science, which is a good thing to trust in, in, a, in a society of integrity. Um, and if you didn't trust that, then maybe you trusted Trump, right? Um, okay, so you don't really trust the government, but he's inside and he's he knows the inside scoop and he's te- he's he's telling and leading us this way. Um, and so then um, so now you've got two points of triangulation and then um, 
well, everybody seems to be following along. I'm looking around to see my neighbors. Are they doing it and saying the same thing? Are they believing the same thing as I am? Okay, everybody starts wearing masks. And all of a sudden you have this huge triangulation of you kind of looking around in the community, trusting your eyes, acting, asking authorities, and looking at the uh, social um, response. And you're going, well, this is this has got to be real. So when you and I come up and say, hey, did you know that Pfizer only lowered mild symptoms in um, relatively healthy people? That was their study. And they like blew away the control arm at some point. So these were facts, right? You would bring facts to them. They would go, you're nuts. Because I've triangulated these trusts. And you've got to be alone, even in families, right? It tore apart husbands and wives who are at odds over this. And so I say in the book that facts are tiny handmaidens to the true queens of belief, which I believe are these uh, these trusts. Um, and now you say, well, what do you, how does language impact that? Um, well, you chronicled in your uh, newsletter many times, they who changed the definition of pandemic? Right, the, the, we need a diff, we, vaccine. Right, cases never in the history of medicine has an asymptomatic been considered a case. I test positive for TB, but I'm not a case. I don't have active TB. Right, they um, they, they comp- conflated those to an asymptomatic infection, infection, which is really a case, as having COVID. Right, which is, right, which is a clinical, potentially preterminal condition. Well, it's pre-terminal most of the time if you're treated with conventional therapies. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and then and then the other one was deaths. Deaths was conflated, right? You could die with COVID and not um without so so the effect of those definitional changes magnified the um uh the threat of the whole thing, right? Um, and then finally, you go to culture. How did that impact? Well, they I think they used our Judeo-Christian um, ethos in the culture of, of do unto others. Don't, you know, don't go to somebody else's house and bring a virus that may kill their grandmother. Um, and I won't do it to you. You know, let's let's, uh, you know, especially because the outcome is something so severe. It's, you know, it's not like you're giving somebody a cold. You're possibly killing them. And so they you know, that was a slam dunk. You put all those five pieces together and people were overwhelmed with, you know, I was I was told I was uh, seriously misinformed and, you know, uh, <laughs> morally reprehensible because I took the stance that I did. And I'm sure, you know, you as well, you got you get flack. But um, that's where manipulating and hacking those trusts is a, um, a really big thing. Well, let's jump to a few more that I think people need to be aware of and may not be as completely familiar with is the element of using a front group is pretty, wow. pretty mm-hmm. uh, routinely utilized. And this, this is essentially a fabricated organization that's paid for by the industry and it seeks to justify some nefarious uh, strategy the industry is using and, and really twist the truth. So this is a routinely used in almost every case. And and who has the time to do the deep dive on these these front groups? And there's so many of them. And they have and they they almost always use some highly beneficial public service 
name. This is mm-hmm. the serving humanity. Classic Orwellian doublespeak. So why don't yes. you expand on that for a bit? Yeah, um, they were using those techniques really, really early on. In fact, um, there were a couple lawsuits around the 40s and the 50s um, with Carl Boyer's group um, that, you know, they had an opportunity to outlaw that sort of deceptive method of, you know, being funded by a group that um, is completely, you know, the, the, the money where the group's coming from is completely hidden. And I gave an example of BoneSmart um in the book um where that's a big company and basically you go back you know the holding company they're basically all the money is coming from the big manufacturers of uh joint replacements and so they're promoting joint replacements through the bone start but they appear to be just a neutral forum you know just 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 um out of the goodness of their heart helping people get along with this. So yes, it's a huge problem, but it's been a problem in this country for a really long time. And legally we looked at it and we didn't choose to, but that would, if we just eliminated front groups, Dr. McCullough made them illegal and eliminated PR firms, you know what I mean? Just said, well, we're going to just, just, just make them illegal. And boy, we'd be, we, we way uh, forward to advancing the truth in the country. Won't we? Well, ostensibly, uh, I'm skeptical, though, because these guys are so, so smart. You cannot take that away from them. They're really brilliant strategists. They really are. These are not stupid people. And they're oh, absolutely. beyond clever. They're clearly connected and networked politically. So they'd find some other workaround. I'm absolutely confident. And I'll tell you the most classic illustration of a workaround, which I really wanted to discuss because I think it's the one that I'm particularly concerned about, but anyone who isn't should be, and that is these large language models, uh, ChatGPT, mm-hmm. OpenAI yes. being the big one, and Bing, of course, has their derivative of that, and Google has barred, and there are literally dozens, if not hundreds, of other companies that will be releasing them shortly, including the, the, the giant search engine in China, which is Baidu. So these there are some people disagree, but I'm pretty well convinced, and I've studied this really carefully, that these are the harbinger of artificial general intelligence, which is, I mean, these models are profound. It's not quite there yet, but we are really, really close. I'm talking this decade. It's it, In my mind, it's inevitable. This seems to be the consensus from the number of experts that I, I reviewed. So and why is this a concern? Because as you carefully explain in your book, language is what they use to convince us and and initiate the propaganda and what better way to have this most sophisticated intelligence who has access to essentially almost everything that's ever been written carefully orchestrate some plan i mean to me it's the ultimate goal so yeah take away the front groups take away the pr agencies you know take away the news agencies they they're still i mean we're got to communicate it's through language so mm-hmm. that is the ultimate is these large language models. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's it's a it's a huge threat. I see a lot of people willingly adopting these things because like they adopt any um technology without thinking. It's like, oh, I, I see, you know, one piece of use over here, but they just turn their eyes away from the absolute uh <clears throat> potential for danger. They just they won't see it. I, I agree with you. I, I think it's phenomenally dangerous and if they get these in the schools i you know and they're already um the media literacy thrust right are you familiar with that um legislative 
endeavor. Why don't you so explain they've, <clears throat> well, they, it's actually a propaganda campaign, right? So you take um, J6 and you say, well, these people were influenced by disinformation and it caused an insurrection. And so disinformation is a threat to society. And so then you go to the, the legal um, legislature, legislative realm and you say, well, look, we've got to do something about this. Um, disinformation is, you know, a threat to democracy. So they have these, again, again euphemistically um, labeled uh, <laughs> bills called media literacy. And so um, they've just passed the, the first one, I think. But there's a whole slew of them that, that are scheduled. You go into Daily Cloud by Naomi Wolf and, and you can find they're all set up to go in many different states, basically teaching people teaching K through 12, getting money to teach media literacy to the kids. Uh, I mean, what are you going to teach um, a kindergartner about media literacy that isn't just blatant indoctrination, right? They're before the age of reason. Right. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, what it's going to be doing is essentially saying, okay, codifying, making orthodoxy any real truth coming from the main legacy outlets so you, you know google probably has the well they they own DeepMind. for those who don't know that's the company that created AlphaGo and uh alpha fold and all these amazing advances in technology which is beyond extraordinary and that didn't think that they were going to happen for many many decades in the future but they did so they have a deep wealth of artificial intelligence scientists and it is somewhat surprising to me that they weren't first to market with this. They've had it, but it wasn't. They didn't deploy it first. It was OpenAI. So clearly, Google is at the the core of this evil cabal. Mm -hmm. And there's, I mean, they're, they're the ones that can really ninety five percent or more of all the searches done in the world are done on their platform. Now, Bing, Microsoft's Bing search platform is is threat to this. Actually, Samsung was just recently in rene considering renegotiating their contract, which was like $20 billion to pay Google every year to use their search engine. Uh, and they were considering using Bing. So it's good that they have that. I mean, Microsoft, I think Google is more nefarious than Microsoft, but they're both not good. I mean, Bill, I mean, that's Bill Gates, Bill Gates versus, mm -hmm. versus Google, not either of them are no bueno. Um, so the point of this though, is that Google is unequivocally using this. They have to be. They, 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 they've had the technology for years. Microsoft is now has it for sure. So whether or not they're creating a narrative as consistently as Google remains to be seen or debated, but they, they're both players and they both have access to these tools and it's going to be used on it. I just, mm -hmm. the point of describing this is to, to warn people that they're using it on you right now, today. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I don't, well, there, there's some things that I don't want to be Debbie Downer here and, you know, the, you know, just tell people, just forget about it, just hang it all up. There are some things we can do, but just understand this is probably one of the biggest threats in the propaganda campaign. Ultimately, my, it, it, the, my belief is I don't even think it's the biggest threat because the biggest threat is actually existential. And, it's because these large language models with the glimmer of artificial intelligence, they made the mistake of giving them the ability to code. They can create software. 
which mm-hmm. means they can get con- recursive improvement over time. They program themselves and they get better and they're smarter and they pro- that program programs itself and, and it, it increases exponentially. So the safeguards are not put into the system. I mean, so that essentially we are looking at an existential threat that will not only just take us out, but it'll take them out with them. Mm-hmm. Dr. All of humanity. It has that potential. It has that potential. You know, I mean, will they do it? No one knows, but it is certainly a potential threat, probably more of an existential threat than an asteroid hitting us, which is also a possibility, not very likely, but it's possible. Mm. Do you know, um, my understanding is that they've been, these models have been trained on just recent data. So like starting at, let's say five years ago and. Whether or not that's true, I, I don't know. Okay. But it's more, it's a moot point because it's just it, it's it's a computational process that involves these deep learning strategies that you just have to give them the data. So it's easy to, to the, the 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 other mistake they made is they opened up to the internet, which of course has data. Most of humanity's data is on the internet, especially mm-hmm. go to, to the, the dark web. Uh, and once they have access to that, and and especially access to the dangerous part is this is the psychology of humanity. You know, what causes behavior change? What, how do you influence humans? And they know how to do that. And they can manipulate language better than anyone on the planet. That doesn't bode too well for humanity. Right. It really doesn't. Right. They have access to it. They have access to the internet. They have access to human psychology. Right. You know, you really have to start unplugging. Um, That's not going to help us. They're still going to hit us because that the system. Yeah. So it, you, unplugging is useful. Uh, so at least, as, well, I, I'm not sure I just, I agree with that completely. I'm plugging from conventional media sources. Absolutely. Unless you want to be entertained and know what the current narrative is seeking to be pushed. Because I right. do regularly review the New York right. Times. I know 100%. It is just pure propaganda, brainwashing bullshit. So, but, and I'm entertained by it to see, oh, that's how they spin it. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, but you know that going in, but so, you know, I don't wouldn't disconnect and just be in the dark. You you, you really want to be aware of what, what their current strategy is. Mm, well, but the training, and I mean, you know, a lot of people are going to the, obviously the, the homeschooling and getting them out of, you know, we, you, yeah. you have to take the kids back. You have to, I, I firmly believe you've got to train them on reading and logical thinking um, off the videos because the video, um, Jacques Ellul um, wrote a book called Humiliation of the Word. And he, it was 1970 and he really, um, he, he so perfectly portrayed what we see now in the social justice warriors. He said, you know, if you train people on videos because it's emotion, narrative, um, and it's not actual thinking like you would have to go through in a logical reading a book and processing the information. And um, he, he said, what training by video does is it, is it, um, it produces an extreme conviction without logical coherence. And so you see that the social justice warriors throwing themselves on the steps of the Capitol, screaming and crying. So these outward displays of, you know, um, emotion. Um, and then if you interview them, they really can't even tell you. They can't articulate the problem well. 
And uh, and so I was astounded that that's, you know, 50 years ago, he said, look, don't train through, you know, video. You've got or you can't at least at least you can't abandon reading and training uh, your thinking process and critical thinking skills. Um, and so I think that's really important for parents to remember that, yeah, we have all these video educational materials, but they've got to read to get that thinking, thinking skill part. Yeah, sadly, that's an abandoned strategy for many, many folks. Uh, like to read 20, 30, 40 books a year or more, mm-hmm. uh, or actually I listen to them now because <laughs> it's just a little bit easier for me to do that. Uh, I can consume more content that way. But uh it's a good it's a good point that the children are hope for the future and mm-hmm. if you continue to enroll them in the traditional educational system certainly it starts in kindergarten grade school high school and certainly continues well into college and professional school they're they're going to be brainwashed they will absolutely be brainwashed because the whole system is designed to do that unless right. you can get them into private schools or homeschool them yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing the results of that. I mean, we're seeing, you know, homeschoolers go and be able to um, master the 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 knowledge that you need to go into college at 16. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing the fruits of that now and, and, and even more so driven after COVID with the mandated vaccine. So that's actually there's a you know, silver lining in that is that that's exploding the exodus outside of the school. So that's a good thing. Yeah, one of the few. The other one would be it woke a lot of people up to the truth Absolutely. about vaccines. You know, so obviously they started to understand that the COVID jab was a hoax, but they it opened their minds to the possibility that the whole vaccine system is a fraud. Mm-hmm. It's right. hurdles all the way down. There's, there's a recent book written about that. You know, it's all based on fraud. You go mm-hmm. look at one sample, and, and there's like never, ever, ever in the history of humanity ever been a any study showing that the vaccines are safe and effective. It just doesn't, mm-hmm. the, that work has never been done. It's been specifically avoided by the vaccine industry. Or the pharma, pharma, more mm-hmm. specific. But uh, I think that's, are there any other tools you, you want to review that they're using before we dive into what some of the solutions might be? Um, no, that's, I think that's a, that's a good representation of, of their, um, their armament, so to speak. Right. So you have a new project, right? Mm-hmm. That is, it, it reminds me, it's, it's not, it's not really focused on legislation as mm-hmm. uh, the vaccine information center, uh, NVIC uh, they have the vaccine portal, which is was been such a magnificent tool they put together about ten years ago to help people th- in the public and local communities in their and states really pass legislation to counteract what what was been done. And I was surprised when I recently interviewed Barbara that because um, I didn't realize this, but the United States was the only country, major country in the world, that didn't have a vaccine mandate. That was largely because of the work that was done through the vaccine portal, which is an amazing mm-hmm. testimony to how, how powerful public action can be. So you have something that your pro- project that you put together 
reminds me of this in some ways. And I think it has great potential. So why don't you describe it? Um, yeah, it's basically um, on the idea, and we didn't talk about George Creel, but he's the um, founder of the Committee on, oh, he, he was the head of the Committee on Public Information in World War One, And <clears throat> he, uh, he created what was called the Four Minute Men, and they were leaders. He recruited leaders in local communities, and they would take essentially talking points from Washington and Oh, in the middle of a real change uh, during a movie, they would, um, you know, stand up and and extemporaneously give this speech from their heart. And, um, you know, it it swayed a lot of people because they um, they were respected in their local communities and people held them in high regard. So um, there was a 10,000 men that he trained. And so um, if my challenge is that if George Creel can mobilize 10,000 men to essentially spout Washington, D.C. talking points on behalf of the war, let's mobilize uh, 10,000 to protect the sheep, expose lies, and um, and the frameworks that are used to create them. And um, I'm looking at saying, okay, so people don't think they could teach. Can they lead a discussion group? Can they bring this conversation into uh, the lives of certainly their children, right? You sit down, take the book, lead a discussion group, and teach the material. Uh, you could do that at, with church, meetups, um, book clubs, um, et cetera. And so that's kind of the idea is that we bring the discussion back to the people. And, you know, a lot of people go, well, what, what can we do? And we don't, we, we think we're, we're limited. Um, and they're waiting for another Dr. Mercola to arise. You know what I mean? More, more Dr. Mercola's. But the problem with anyone that raises, uh, gets lifted to prominence in our movement is that the news media, like a howitzer on the hill, just trains their um, focus on that person and attempts to destroy him, as you well know, right? I mean, you could probably have stories that you haven't even shared with your community, right? Um, so we, in a sense, we have to stop waiting for leaders, you know, high profile leaders to do the job. And we can, we can start by doing something small like this. It adds up. <laughs> it does add up, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, so I think it's a really novel idea uh, for sure. I'm just, I'm just curious, this George Creel character, he preceded Brene. Correct. By- well, they were actually contemporaries. Uh, Bernays was in the war, and he was overseas. In the he wasn't uh, doing his dastardly deeds at that time. Uh, he was learning. He was in learning. training. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so you, it would seem like that would be a strategy that Bernays would suggest, or eventually promote himself. Really clever. So, mm-hmm. do you think this guy just independently figured this out, or is there another tool in the government that was organized back then that 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 catalyzed this type of prop, pretty sophisticated propaganda. You mean uh, Bernays? Or no, I mean, no. uh, Creel? Do you Creel, think that's Creel? Creel. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think some of it came from Britain, right? You have the, um, uh, uh, um, the Crow House and the Wellington House, right? Um, I said, so, so I think they shared some information on that. Um, and uh, they were really learning uh on the job and 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 to me i i I position creel as um you know just a large demonstration project i i think at the end of that you know in in his book how we advertise america he's like doing a victory lap and just sharing like 
I think the enthusiastic excitement, look what we did. I mean, oh my God. I don't think they really expected to be able to do what they did. And, uh, you know, his, his book is a, um, it's his boasting of all the things that they did in detail. And I really highly recommend it to anybody that has any illusions about American propaganda, you know, start right there, have your kids read it and go, this is what we did. And, and I mean, that's what, that's what started me. I read that book and I, I kept asking people, did you know this? Did you learn this in high school? And nobody of course did. And I still have people say that to me as they're reading the book. He said, I, I had no idea that that's what we did. Our country. Um, it's like the biggest secret, right? Um, and so that's a that's a good place to start. Well, that, that's why I like your idea. Is the the basic foundation here is that these techniques that we discussed they work. There's no question they work. You don't even think about arguing that point. They are very highly effective tools. Yes. So why the heck would when it, we use the same tools? There's no law against using propaganda tools, especially when it's not propaganda; it's the truth. Yeah. So, so, but but the tools work. So why not emulate their tried and true strategies? They will do World War One. We could certainly repeat that process now. And I think a, a concerted effort that would get some uh, traction that because it's going to need large numbers of people, you know, but you can make a difference, you can make a huge difference. And just as an illustration of that is th this this anecdote I just shared with the vaccine information portal for men, VIC. Literally, it was it was I don't even know if it was tens of thousands of people, it might have been thousands of people that were active, participated in, and played a role in the legislative process and mm -hmm. educated the legislators, which prevented a vaccine mandate nationally in the United States. Right. So, so essentially, we, we, that's done with this. It's grassroots. Done. It's grassroots. It's local. Right. Yeah. That's what you're saying. You know what I mean? It's right. got to be local leaders saying we can do this. We can spread the word. We can stand up in our communities. We can hold the line right here. Right. We'll right. just hold the line in our little spot. And um, yeah, I mean, we just we need to. All right. So I think if you're not in agreement to what we just discussed, then you probably should shut the video off right now because you know, there's not all hope for you. So it's a brilliant idea. How do people implement this? What What is the steps? What does the process look like? Um, they just go to smartsheep.com. And that's sheep with an E. That's the old English plural. So it's S-H-E-E-P-E -E -E, uh, dot com. And uh, there'll be a place where you can say, hey, I'd like to lead a discussion group. So it's that simple. Don't think of it as teaching. Start a conversation and anybody can do it. They don't have to be an expert. They don't have to have read all the books. They have to just agree to like, let's let's open this information. Let's unpack the idea that America has been infected with propaganda for the last hundred years. And that's a real novel idea for people. And so. I'm a, I'm a big advocate that let's let's leave right and left to the side. Okay? Let's 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 not argue ideology. Let's join hands because that's part of what they're doing is is to divide us. And let's look at the material together. Let's let's face America's history together and um you know make a difference that way. So so you know I guess I guess in in, in answer fully more fully to your question, um they'll just they can get a study guide from me. Um, I'll get a PDF study guide for them. So they're not just uh, on their own and they'll have questions, discussion questions, some other additional insights um, that they can um, share with the group and, um, and just, 
basically, you know, put the message out there. So is there a specific plan, though, once these people and individuals are trained to uh, pattern the process of what real did, which sounds like going in the movie theaters during the intermission between the reels and giving a four minute presentation? Is there some? Yeah, I I do. I do have um, a. um, uh, What do I want to say? Yeah, I, I have plans to to make it more of an outreach type thing at some point. But I think we just want to start with getting information back, feedback with like, okay, what's problematic for people? What's raising questions? What do you need more support? What materials? And I think once we start learning together, how can we, how can we put things, materials out there that'll help people to start seeing patterns and trends, patterns and trends so that they just go, I see that. You know, I, 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 I figured out, oh, this is what they do when, when the truth is, is coming to the surface. Oh, they, they, they put together a committee, right? Where it gets whitewashed. You know, we were put it in the hands of experts who will then decide what the real problem is, but really all they're going to do is shove it under the carpet and move it on to something else, you know? So, so when they can start to see those kinds of patterns, then they are much more able to, you know, navigate society and really protect their family, their wealth and resources. And we know now, Dr. Mercola, how dreadfully important this is because your life could depend on it. All those people that took the vaccine, uh, uh, whose, whose lives are gone and, or whose lives are permanently altered. Right. So this isn't, this isn't, uh, oh yeah, maybe I want to do this. It's so vital. It's so vital now. Yeah, so there's it could be multi-pronged too. So obviously, understanding the basics and the fundamentals of American propaganda, but then uh, sort of multi-purposing that with respect to developing a preparedness group locally, because really, oh, absolutely, if, if things really de- um, start to break down, de- mm-hmm. degenerate. As most most many people believe they will, then the only way through that is is to have a really strong community. You're not right. going to do it alone. You're just right. not going to do it alone. You're delusional if you think you are. So this could be one of the first steps, you know, to you know creating more awareness and spreading the truth locally and helping develop community. Yeah, yeah. Just starting with your freedom group or making a freedom group out of this endeavor right if you go to your friends and your neighbors and you get them to say hey look this is what's being done let's as you say let's get a little bit more prepared let's start to take initiative and a lot of things you know food security right um all that is 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 just of prime importance right now given all that they're doing with you know putting the mrna vaccines in 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 the in the food you know yep (laughs) wouldn't know we've we've got we've got a lot of um you know, so there's a lot coming at us from a lot of different directions, Dr. Mercola. And yeah, um, so, so certainly one of the primary books that they could review and understand what's going on is the book that you just wrote, which is One Idea to Rule Them All. Good one to start with. It, it really goes over the basics. And, you know, once you finish this, then you can put it in your library. <laughs> have it as a resource so uh, any other points you'd like to mention no, that, give us the name of that site again smartsheep.com 
Sheep with an E. Smart Sheep. S-H-E-E-P-E.com. SmartSheep.com. SmartSheep.com. And the book's available pretty much anywhere, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you mostly on Amazon, but um, you could actually get it at Barnes & Nobles if you request it. I don't think they're stocking it yet. <laughs> Good one. I enjoyed it. And uh, I want to thank you for writing it. Any any other words before you, you leave? No, that's it. That's, uh, that's it. I just thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And um, I thank you for picking up a random book that came across your desk um, yep. and uh, giving me the opportunity to share with your audience. Okay. All right. Well, definitely. Uh, I encourage people to go to smartsheep.com and start some of these groups because I think that could be a big effort to help limit the amount of propaganda we're being exposed to. Or at least the, it won't limit it. It will limit the impact of the propaganda. That's what it would do. Right. Okay. Well, thanks, everyone. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Dr. Mercola.